Did you know Fast Growing Trees is the biggest online nursery in the U.S. with more than 10,000 different kinds of plants and over 2 million happy customers in the U.S.? They have everything you could possibly want, like fruit trees, palm trees, evergreens, houseplants, and so much more. Whatever you're interested in, they have it for you. Find the perfect fit for your climate and space. Fast Growing Trees makes it easy to order online, and your plants are shipped directly to your door in one to two days. And along with their 30-day Alive and Thrive guarantee, they offer free plant consultation forever. This spring, they have the best deals online, up to half off on select plants and other deals. And listeners to our show get an additional 15% off their first purchase when using the code POOL at checkout. That's an additional 15% off at FastGrowingTrees.com using the code POOL at checkout. FastGrowingTrees.com, code POOL. Offer is valid for a limited time. Terms and conditions may apply. Today is June 20th, 2022, and our first story a UK general has warned their troops to prepare for World War III and a new ground war in Europe against Russia. Lithuania has blocked Russian goods from reaching the exclave of Kaliningrad, and Russia is vowing retaliation. If they do get involved, it could drag the rest of NATO into the war with Russia. In our next story, the Texas GOP has declared Joe Biden's presidency illegitimate. Things are getting scary out there. Texas v. Pennsylvania was a lawsuit alleging unconstitutional changes to voter laws, and it was never resolved. Texas is standing by what they believe. And in our last story, Washington Post has demoted Taylor Lorenz after she published fake news, and Bill Maher slams millennials as entitled over the Washington Post fiasco. If you like this show, give us a good review, leave us five stars, and share the show with your friends. Now, let's get into that first story. While many of us here at home are entrenched in domestic politics, we still have an international conflict happening in Eastern Europe between Russia and Ukraine. And now we're hearing Britain's top army general has warned UK troops to prepare to fight and beat Putin's army in a land war. Daily Mail literally says prepare to fight and beat Russia in a third world war. Britain's top general warns. It was only about a month ago that George Soros himself said the conflict between Ukraine and Russia could lead to a third world war. In Russia, they're calling it World War Three because NATO is basically supplying arms and intelligence to Ukraine in their war with Russia. So we're involved. But now things have escalated rather dramatically. Following sanctions placed on Russia, Lithuania has reportedly blocked key resources to Kaliningrad, an exclave of Russia surrounded by NATO member states. Russia is calling the blockade illegal and threatening retaliation. If conflict erupts between Lithuania and Russia, as a NATO member state, the US and other NATO countries are forced to intervene. And thus, my friends, we may find ourselves in legitimately World War III. It's hard to know exactly when a major historical conflict starts when you are living in it. We are surrounded by conflict and war and historical moments. The question is, will those moments escalate into something that history will never forget? You take a look at what's going on domestically. 
because I definitely want to talk about the internal turmoil here in the U.S. Should we be forced into some kind of World War Three or international war? I don't know if the U.S. has the stability to withstand something like that. Now, is the U.S. in a civil war? Some have argued it is. Some have argued it's civil strife, the precursor to civil war. And some have said it's a fifth generational civil war. And I've made some point about all of these ideas because I think it really comes down to semantics and where you think we're headed. I, I think about what was going on in the prelude to uh, the precursor to the first American civil war, the strong moral issue of slavery. And now we have abortion. But right now we're hearing, man, it's, it's just really intense online. The Texas GOP saying Joe Biden's not legitimate. And then I throw it back to Texas v. Pennsylvania, where Texas sued in the Supreme Court over all these, these other states that changed their voter laws in what they said was a violation of the Constitution. The question for both of these moments, both internationally and domestically, is will they escalate beyond this point? Because if they do, then we're in World War III. Then we are in a civil war. But if Lithuania tomorrow says we apologize for the inconvenience, Russia, by all means, send in your concrete and your advanced technology components. We're sorry for the misunderstanding. Well, then maybe there's no world war. But Lithuania is saying we got a blockade. We're blocking it. Well, actually, that's the reported statement. Apparently now they're even denying blocked it. So Russia could be lying. Who knows? If tomorrow Russia issues a military strike on Lithuania or sends military in to escort their materials to Kaliningrad. That could be seen as an act of aggression and an escalation. And then when people look back on history and say, when did World War Three start? They won't say Lithuania. They will say, oh, well, the history is complicated. You know, the U.S. involvement in Ukraine with Joe Biden and Burisma, it could go all the way back to that point which wraps up the internal domestic policies along with the international conflict into one major issue, instability globally. Now, where World War III and civil war starts to become much more pronounced, in my opinion, is not Lithuania and NATO. It's the fact that Ukraine is, is down in their wheat exports. And when we talk about food shortages, people don't realize just how dangerous things are getting. As the saying goes, you're three meals away from a revolution. I don't know who said that. I was watching Jurassic, Jurassic World Domination or whatever that new movie was called. And they mention it in the movie. But it is a fair point. And with food shortages on the horizon, diesel shortages and gas prices where they are, prices are going to skyrocket. The U.S. may be OK. But if we are facing civil war over these, these political issues and the rest of the world is facing civil war over a lack of food and there's a potential for World War Three. It's getting pretty scary out there. But let's start with the first story and work our way through everything I just said. This is the story from the Daily Mail. But before we do get into it, head over to TimCast.com and become a member to help support our work. As a member, you'll get access to exclusive segments from the TimCast IRL podcast, which are uncensored, available only at TimCast.com and a whole lot of swearing, not for the kids. We try to make everything else family friendly, but this is the one where the adults get to hang out. Go to TimCast.com, click sign up in the top right of the website, become a member. We need your support. That is how, your membership is how we, we, we fund basically the entire operation. And if you think we do a good job, and these are the kinds of, of messages and the kind of news that needs to expand and do better, your support will make that happen. 
It's a subscription and membership world out there. And I hope one day our news enterprise subverts and replaces the corporate press. And hey, it already is thanks to all of you. So don't forget to smash that like button. Subscribe to this channel right now on YouTube and share this video anywhere you can. Share the website. Get people involved. Let's let's win this culture war. Let's prevent the greater conflicts. And hopefully we can bring about some kind of peace through stability and unification. Unity. Let's read the news. The Daily Mail reports, prepare to fight and beat Russia in a third world war. Britain's top general warns. New UK army commander tells troops to brace for European land war in tub-thumping message as tyrant Putin menaces ex-Soviet states. General Sir Patrick Sanders, who assumed overall command of the British army this week, warned soldiers, quote, we are the generation that must prepare the army to fight in Europe once again, as Russia's invasion of Ukraine rocks global stability. In a tub-thumping message to British troops, he wrote, I am the first chief of the general staff since 1941 to take command of the army in the shadow of a land war in Europe involving a continental power. The scale of the enduring threat from Russia shows we've entered a new era of insecurity. It is my singular duty to make our army as lethal and effective as it can be. The time is now and the opportunity is ours to seize. It comes as Putin menaces NATO countries and this week taunted former Soviet states in Europe by declaring they are part of historic Russia. Putin made the comments in response to a dramatic statement by Kazakh President Kasim Yomart Tokayev, who sensationally declared he did not recognize the self-proclaimed People's Republics of Donetsk and Luhansk in eastern Ukraine. Tokayev sat meters away from the brooding Russian despot at the St. Petersburg, Petersburg Economic Forum yesterday, described the DPR and LPR as quasi-state territories. We don't recognize Taiwan, Kosovo, South Ossetia, and Abkhazia. We apply this principle to the quasi-state territories, which in our view are the Luhansk and Donetsk People's Republics, the Kazakh president said, in a daring defiance of Putin's war in eastern Ukraine. The Russian president sat quietly, considering Tokayev's comments before appearing to deliver a calm but quietly menacing warning. What is the Soviet Union? Putin asked rhetorically. This is historic Russia. He went on to paint Kazakhstan as a nation friendly to Russia, but quickly added, the same thing could have happened with Ukraine but they wouldn't be our allies. Maximilian Hess, a fellow at the Foreign Policy Research Institute, told The Telegraph that Putin's retort to Tokayev was a clear threat and argued that Tokayev was reliant on Russian support following widespread riots in Kazakhstan in January. Now, I'm not super concerned about Kazakhstan necessarily. It's interesting to see potential instability. They're going to mention Boris urges world leaders to hold their nerve for a long war in Ukraine or risk the greatest victory for aggression in Europe since World War II in dig at Macron's plea to make nice with more monger Putin. So World War Three. Now I'll say this editorial hyperbolic. Yeah, maybe to be completely honest, the Daily Mail may just be calling it a third world war. I think that's a generally fair assessment. But if Russia doesn't get any support from other countries, if a land war does break out, can you really call it a World War Three? Have you seen the price of gold lately? It's hitting all-time highs. And when it comes to investing in gold, check out Noble Gold Investments. They have a track record of excellence that's second to none. Just look at their thousands of five-star reviews on Trustpilot, Google, and the Better Business Bureau. Customers rave about their knowledgeable staff, smooth investment process, and life-changing results, which you can see for yourself online. 
That's the kind of reputation you can count on. But it's not just about the reviews. Noble Gold Investments truly care about their clients. They take the time to understand your unique needs and goals, and they give expert guidance every step of the way. That level of personalized service is rare in this industry. Look, when it comes to securing your financial future, you can't afford to take chances. Go with the gold company that has earned the trust of countless investors. Visit noblegoldinvestments.com slash Tim Pool today and discover why Noble Gold Investments is the only choice for smart, secure gold investments. Or call them at 877-646-5347. Again, that's 877-646-5347. I don't know. World War III is interesting because it typically was great European powers anyway. Now, there was other war going on at the time. We will see. As it stands right now, the threat is real for World War III. From the Financial Times, Russia threatens retaliation against Lithuania following rail blockade. Baltic state halts transport via train of Russian goods under EU sanctions to exclave of Kaliningrad. For those that aren't familiar with Kaliningrad, it is north of Poland, and it is to the west and so- uh, southwest of Lithuania. It is a Russian oblast, basically a state, on the Baltic Sea, but separated from Russia and surrounded by NATO member states. Estonia, Latvia, Lithuania, Poland. Belarus is also right here. Russia transports goods through Lithuania. Let's read the report. Moscow is threatened to retaliate against Lithuania. After the Baltic state halted the rail support, rail transport of Russian goods under EU sanctions to the exclave of Kaliningrad, Russia's foreign ministry summoned Lithuania's charge d'affaires in Moscow on Monday to demand an immediate cancellation of the restrictions or face actions to defend Russia's national interests. Grigory Karasin, a former senior diplomat who chairs the Foreign Affairs Committee in Russia's upper house of parliament, said that Demark was harsh and warned any response would be quite decisive, according to Russian news agency Interfax. Lithuania, which controls the only overland rail route linking Kaliningrad with mainland Russia at the weekend, began limiting the export of goods covered by EU sanctions in retaliation for President Vladimir Putin's invasion of Ukraine. The restrictions affected oil, cement, steel, iron, coal, and other goods amounting to slightly more than half of total Russian rail supplies to Kaliningrad, the ministry said. I'd like to pause. Yo, I called this one. At least the potential for it. I'd like to say I called it because they're always like, what did, what did Tim even get right? Ah, I get a lot wrong. But when I get it right, this was obvious. This is what I pointed out months ago. If Russia is getting involved in conflict and Belarus is involved, how long until Belarus tells Lithuania or Poland, we need a direct and secure land route into Kaliningrad? You think Russia is going to let one of its states be cut off? Imagine if the U.S. was sending a freighter to Hawaii with supplies and China blocked those boats from coming in saying we control these waters. Now, I know it's a bit different because it's open Pacific. This is Lithuania's actual border of their country. But imagine what would happen if our supplies were unable to make it to our. Imagine if Canada blocked our, our shipments going into Alaska. Under, you know, for some reason, I mean, that would be very, very serious. And then we say you can't do that now. You know, Canada and the U.S. are basically buddy, buddy. I understand it's not going to happen. But this is insane. Russia's not going to sit back and be like, guess our people starve. 
No, they're going to be like, Lithuania, you have not the power to stop us from getting supplies to our people. Will NATO intervene? They have to, according to the terms of the agreement of NATO. And if the United States said we're not getting involved, then NATO's basically worthless. And I'm sure Russia would try to prove that. Josip Borrell, the EU's chief diplomat, gave a full-throated defense of Lithuania's actions on Monday, saying that while he was always worried about Russia's retaliation, Lithuania was not guilty. Lithuania has not taken any unilateral national restrictions and only applies EU sanctions. Lithuania is doing nothing else but implementing the guidelines of the commission. Oh, that is just brutal. Look, the EU told us we can't do it. It's nothing to do with us. That's amazing. Sandwich between Lithuania and Poland, Kaliningrad has been a source of tension between Russia and Europe since the Baltic states declared independence from the USSR in 1991, leaving it without a direct overland route to Moscow. Russia's Baltic fleet, which has almost 80 warships and submarines, is headquartered there. Moscow has also deployed nuclear-capable Iskander ballistic missiles in the region, though it has not said whether they carry nuclear warheads. Dmitry Medvedev, deputy head of Russia's Security Council, warned in April that it would be impossible for the region to remain non-nuclear if Finland and Sweden joined NATO, suggesting the possible nuclear deployment could be made official. The EU sanctions have isolated Kaliningrad further still, forcing Russian planes to make a detour over the Baltic Sea due to a ban on using the bloc's airspace. Lithuania rejected Russia's accusations. It acted unilaterally and said its move was in compliance with the EU measures, which contain different winding down periods after which the goods in question can no longer be shipped to Russia. It's not Lithuania doing anything. It's the EU sanctions, said Gabrielis Landsbergis, Lithuania's foreign minister. It is done with consultations with the European Commission and under the European Commission guidelines. The Kremlin likened the restrictions to a blockade and said it would assess the situation before uh, deciding whether and how to respond. Okay, NATO fighting Russia. Yeah, I'd call it World War Three, but would China get involved? I think you would need China's involvement in support of or in in concurrence with action uh, against Russia or Russia against Lithuania. That is to say, China doesn't need to join a war on the side of Russia. It needs to just start a war and try to claim Taiwan or take action in the South China Sea. Then I think it's fair to say World War Three. Or maybe with Belarus involved, we're going to start seeing things popping off. From Newsweek, World War III has started, said Russia, Russian TV, as Ukraine called a rehearsal. Russia's state TV host and, guest have set, and guests have said that World War III has started and noted Ukraine could be just the beginning of a potentially larger conflict with the West. There's a video going around, a photo. It shows Vladimir Putin holding the table. That's what they claim. And the argument is it proves he's sick. I don't care for these things. I really don't like those body language expert videos where it's like, here's a speech from so-and-so and here's a body language expert. And it just so happens the body language expert always has something to say that's negative towards the person or positive towards a person they like. It'll be like, I'm a body language expert and Joe Biden here is clearly showing that he's lying and that he's, he's sick. It's like, OK, I get it. You don't like Biden. And they're like, here's Trump. His body position uh, positioning shows that he's, he's a good man. And I'm like, yeah, 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 blah, blah, blah. Maybe Vladimir Putin's sick. Maybe he's not. If he's sick, then expect war, because I don't think he's going down without a fight. But if he's not sick, I don't know why it matters. Maybe one would make him more desperate. George Soros himself, 
May 24th, Reuters. Soros says Ukraine may be the start of World War Three. We love our buzz terms, don't we? Civil War, World War Three. Yo, I don't know. Call it whatever you want. Perhaps we call it World War Three because it's like it likens the conflict or it reminds us of the potential carnage that could come akin to what we saw in the past. The bloodiest wars in history, World War Two, Civil War. Vladimir Putin's pals warn of triggering World War III as Russia bares its teeth to NATO. The damning threat comes amid claims Russian President Vladimir Putin could declare martial law and mobilization in five Russian regions bordering Ukraine in desperate bid to boost his war effort. Okay, let's talk about why else. Why else? Civil War, World War III, all of it. First of all, as you can see here, as I pull up Twitter, civil war is trending in the United States with 102,000 tweets. Okay. Pwn all the things on Twitter is a NATSEC, a national security and info security platform security uh, pundit verified on Twitter saying a 40% collapse in actual harvest and an 80% collapse in harvest reaching the export market. When this starts to hit in earnest in fall, it's going to be really big and destabilizing globally. If this tsunami is coming, let me put it this way. We get a warning a hurricane is coming. We don't feel the brunt. And sometimes the hurricane changes course. In 2014, I think it was 2014, I was in Miami. I think it was 2014. I could be wrong. And we got word a hurricane was about to slam into the Panhandle State. Is that what they call the Panhandle State? I don't know, whatever. Florida. And I remember getting a hotel and they were like, get ready for this one. It's going to be intense. You'll probably be okay, but get your supplies. And I was like, well, I'll be here to, to document what's going on. It was coming. And then at the last minute, it got blown north. And everyone's like, crisis averted. But we all saw the signs. We all were warned it was coming. And then we got lucky. They keep telling us. Take a look at this tweet. Dmitry Alperovich. He is a geopolitics national security Chairman Silverado Policy, founder Alpervich, co-founder CrowdStrike. He says, Ukraine's harvest may decline to 60 million tons of grain and oil seeds this year. 43% decrease, according to Deputy Agricultural Minister Dmitrysevich. So far, Ukraine has exported 4 million tons in the last four months versus a usual monthly export of 5 to 6 million tons. That is 1 million tons of I believe it was grain, per, per, one million tons per month, ton, one million tons per month versus five to six. Yo, that's more than a 43% decrease if you're doing the math. But let's talk about what happens in the world and why World War Three is a real possibility. Pone all the things goes on to say, Lebanon imports 80% of its grain from, the, from Ukraine. Egypt, 50% from Russia and Ukraine. India, 70% of its sunflower oil from Ukraine. Turkey, Bangladesh, and Iran, 60% of their wheat from Russia and Ukraine. Also, key DONCs for Yemen, Libya, and Pakistan. A lot of flashpoints for heavy spiking food prices. And a shortfall of 50 million tons or so is going to be uh, a bit tricky to cover on short notice. That is to say, those countries are in hot positions. And if people can't have food, what will it be? International war or civil war? Maybe both. Some of these countries, they're not going to fight themselves. They're going to say, how do we get food? And they'll declare war on their neighbor and say, we take the food from them. Because I'll tell you, my friends, let me ask you this. 
Do you think a person would starve to death or do you think they would rob their neighbor for food to prevent themselves from starving to death? Do you think a man would let his child or woman, a man or woman would let their child starve to death? Or do you think they would rob their neighbor to make sure their children ate food? I am of the opinion that right now, many communities probably wouldn't rob their neighbors. But many communities would. I'll put it this way. A bunch of conservatives in a conservative neighborhood, they go to church. Are they going to rob their neighbors for food? Probably not. What about that community banding together and then raiding other neighborhoods where they don't know people? Now, that seems a whole lot more likely. Now, in terms of these more conservative communities, they're probably more likely to be in suburban and rural areas where they can probably grow some of their own food. So that'll alleviate some of the pressures in big cities. Yo, there's no community in big cities. People don't know who their neighbors are. Yeah, they're going to raid their neighbor's house first chance they get if they have to. Now, they might want to avoid actively fighting with each other. But if you're starving, you're starving. Now, let's think about like Yemen. Internally, a country may say we're not going to fight each other over food. But another country might say, I'll take the food from that country and make sure my people have food. That's where I think we may be headed. Man, it's so scary, right? The food thing is probably the most important. Take a look at this from Fortune. End of days. Stressed supply chains mean summer shortages of shopper favorites like beer, popcorn, and sriracha. (laughs) Oh, beer, popcorn, and sriracha. Who cares, right? Who cares, right? Yo, I went to to a, a restaurant the other day. They were sold out of chicken wings. Now, maybe that just means they were just sold out of chicken wings. It's no big deal, right? Or maybe it means something way worse. That's a scary thing. We know that there's a chicken shortage. There's been. And stores started announcing thighs, chicken thighs. The thighs are good. I really like chicken thighs. I don't understand why those aren't a staple. What do they do with them anyway? But wings, that's the demand. Wings are, are sold out in many places. So then we fall back on thighs. What happens when we're, we're short on that and there's no chicken at all? You know, the creepiest thing is we used to have this barbecue place nearby. It's gone. Just one day it was gone. We don't know where it went. Maybe it'll come back. I have no idea. But it's, it's, it's springtime. Tomorrow is summer. Now's the time for all of these, these places to flourish. They're not. I really do think it's the food that is going to destabilize everything. World War III is not necessarily going to be because, be because treaties. Treaties can be negotiated. And, you know, some, when someone says, I don't want to risk my comfort in this conflict, there's a threshold. If we're all living in luxury, I look at you and I'm like, bro, I'm living in luxury. Let's not fight about it. Let's just go to our infinity pools. What happens when there's no water in the pool? Now you're sitting there like, I want my water. And that's not so bad, right? You might be like, well, I'm not willing to fight because the TV's on and there's food. The standard decreases. Now you've got no gas. You can't drive your car. Now you can't buy food. Now you're angry. And now you say enough. When you drop below the survival threshold, people snap. The New York Post reports. Record diesel prices could lead to food shortages in U.S. farmers warn. You don't get it, do you? And I'm not talking about you, the average viewer. I'm talking about the people who keep denying it. If farmers can't afford diesel for their farm equipment, they're not harvesting anything, let alone the lack of fertilizer, which means the crop yield is going to be lower. If the crop yield is down, as they've told us, maybe they're lying. I don't know. Then less food. 
We were looking at in, in uh, I think it was late February when the war broke out, they said crop yield could diminish by 40%, which means prices will spike. Now, with record diesel prices, farmers are going to say, if I harvest this field of wheat, it's going to cost me twice as much because diesel went from 250 to five bucks. I've got to sell that wheat for double the price to make any money on this. Not only then is there a shortage of wheat with lower crop yield, but they've got to charge more for it. Now, get this. If they're like, it costs me X amount of dollars to maintain this operation at the farm. With a lower crop yield, our profits are taking a hit, but we still need the same base rate to fund the equipment. Let me explain it. I'll use Detroit as an example. Detroit has a water supply system. Detroit has, let's say, X million people. The cost of maintaining the static water disbursement system is divided among X people. If the amount of population is cut in half, the price of maintaining that system doubles per person. Get it? It's $100 to maintain the water. You have 100 citizens. Everyone has to pay a dollar per month. 50 people leave. Now it's $100 divided amongst 50 people. Everyone's got to pay $2. Your costs doubled. Let's say you have a farm and you normally have 100 pieces of wheat. I'm just using a low general number. 100. You sell them each for a buck. That maintains the machines, the land, your taxes, all the stuff you got to pay, your employees, their salaries. This year, you only have 40 pieces of wheat. You still need to cover the cost of the operation, which means you need the same amount of money from selling the wheat if it's 40 versus 100. To put it simply, no matter how much less the farm produces, they will need a base amount of money to cover basic costs like maintenance for the machinery and employee salaries. Now, they may lay people off and say, we don't have as much to harvest, but there are still certain base costs. Infrastructure and maintenance will remain the same. That will make the price of wheat go up. Now there's a shortage. The price of wheat goes up. Now there's gas prices. The price of wheat goes up. It's not just wheat. It's everything. So you are looking at going to the grocery store and not only will they say we don't have any bread when it does come in, it's going to be 20 bucks a loaf. And I don't know if it'll actually be 20 bucks. My point is, yo, I went out to eat. It was three people and the bill was over $100. And that to me was just crazy. Three people. We each got an entree and there was one. There were two appetizers, to be fair, two apps and three entrees over $100. And I was just like, wow, man. A few years ago, we'd go out four or five people. We'd get a meal and it'd be 60 bucks. No, for real. And, and, and you don't notice. People really don't notice how crazy things are getting. Now, I mentioned this in a previous segment, so you hear it again if you're listening to the podcast. But I was just watching Avengers Infinity War. 2018, I think that was four years ago. And I was thinking about the time we were in. Back then, I remember going to the theater, being all excited, visiting my friend. I saw it in a small, like, suburban, rural Maryland theater. And I just remembered what was going on back then. And I was like, wow, it was crazy in a lot of ways, but it was not this crazy. We didn't have international conflict. We didn't have Texas v. Pennsylvania, half the country suing half the country. Texas GOP saying Biden's not legitimately elected. We didn't, we didn't have these things. It has dramatically escalated across the board in terms of international conflict, food prices, everything. 
And I think we are frogs in a pot. It is boiling and we don't notice it. When I go out to eat and it's three people, me and two other people, and it's over, it was like $110 for this meal. And then I'm thinking about it. I'm like, is this normal? I remember in 2018 going out to eat five people or so, and we'd spend like 80 bucks. It would be like $11.99 for a burger and fries. Now it's like $17.99. I'm wondering if people are noticing. I went to the grocery store a few months ago. I asked the, uh, as we're ringing things up, I asked the lady at checkout, I was like, do you have you noticed prices going up? And she's like, prices are going way up. We filled up a cart of groceries, $700, 700 bucks. I was, to be fair, we get a lot of snack meat. We get a lot of uh, um, like, like salami so that the guests, we know when we have guests over, we have like salami and cheese, but it wasn't. I remember we filled up a cart in 2018. It was, it was half that. We do the same thing. We buy a bunch of the snack meats. When guests come over, you can eat, you know, meat and cheese while you wait and have a drink or something. Prices are absolutely skyrocketing. What people need to understand, too, when they say 8.6% inflation, they are covering for Joe Biden. Let me tell you, there's this guy. He's tracking inflation, but he tracks it in all the right ways. There's several ways. There's, there's direct cost increase. There's shrinkflation. And then there's something else. I forgot what it's called, but it's a sell-by-date inflation. So here's how it works. Inflation you get. The prices are going up. A box of cereal that was $4 last year is $5 this year or something like that. Then there's shrinkflation. A box that was 14 and a half ounces of cereal is 12 ounces now, but the box stays the same size. You see how they do it? You're buying the same box, but you don't notice the number of the amount, of, the, amount the volume has gone down. Then there's sell-by date. They used to say sell, you know, you get six months. This, this product can be stored safely for six months, maybe a can of something. Now it says one year. They're extending the length. They're taking things that normally wouldn't make the cut and they're selling it because they want to keep the, keep the money flowing. The shrinkflation is the scary and important part. When they say a, a box of cereal is up 20% over last year. Oh yeah? Do the math. If they reduced the size from 14 and a half ounces to 12 ounces, it's not up 20%. It's up more than that because that's also a 17% decrease in the amount you're actually getting. Which means if you decrease the cost, decrease the volume and increase the cost, the cost has actually gone up way more. But they're only talking about the base goods. Sure, a gallon of milk is still a gallon, gallon of milk. You can't really pull off some, some garbage there. You know what pisses me off, though? I buy some coconut water. They cut it with sugar. Yep. We, use, we, 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 we buy coconut water, and it's like 100% pure coconut water. I go, I go to buy some more, and they're sold out. So I see this other brand, comparable coconut water. I'm like, I just grab that. It's, you know, coconut with pineapple, pineapple juice in it. We get, we, 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 we take a look at the ingredients and it's 3% sugar water. And I was like, whoa, 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 yo, that's another way to do it. You're going to start noticing butter blends. It's, 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 it would ha- it's what happens during war. You're going to go to buy your, your fresh grass fed butter. And it's going to say gas fed butter, you know, pure blend. And then you're going to look at the ingredients and it's going to say 87% butter, 13% margarine. And they're going to call it a blend. They're going to start cutting it. They're going to do what they can. A stick of butter has got to be a stick of butter, right? 
Don't be surprised then when you start noticing special milk. It's going to be like, you know, um, healthy, healthy milk blend. And it'll be 83% organic grass fed milk with 13% hydrolyzed oil particles and, you know, whatever. Fungus additives. They're going to cut your foods with other things because we are facing shortages. One day you're going to notice your all beef burger. They're going to say 100% pure beef. And you're going to say, that sounds good to me. No, 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 no. What we mean is of the beef that's in the burger, it's 100% pure. The rest of it is cricket. That's the game they'll play. And you won't notice. You'll think the burger itself is 100% pure. It'll say 100% pure beef. But the burger is 70% beef, 30% cricket. And would you even notice? Most people probably won't. Most people didn't even know they're using cloned beef. So my friends, this is what scares me the most. Not some conflict, not soldiers. What scares me is there are so many reasons to believe the food crisis is coming. I today just ordered another bundle of emergency food. That's me. Call me a prepper. Say whatever you want. I don't care. Because if this is true, two things are true. Two other things. If there is going to be a shortage of food, then the food I buy today. So I shop. Our sponsor normally is safeandreadymeals.com. I'm not saying this as a sponsor. I'm saying it so that you know I literally do buy from them. If I buy from them today at their current price, when the shortage hits, those prices are going way up, which means I saved money. The other thing that's true is if the food shortage is coming, you're going to wish you had it. That's a fact. So say what you want, man. The third thing that has always been true is your worst case scenario is if there's no food, you have it. And if there's no shortage, you eat the food because you eat food. We'll see how it goes. I hope you all are paying attention. Next segment is coming up tonight at 8 p.m. over at youtube.com slash Timcast IRL. Thanks for hanging out, and I will see you all then. The Texas GOP has declared Joe Biden illegitimate and also demanded an end to abortion. Now, that second one, I understand. That first one, I think, is particularly worse. But I think both of these scream. Oh, you're going to hear it. You, you ready? Civil war. You know what, man? I'm looking back at that lawsuit, Texas v. Pennsylvania. It's where Texas argued that I think four states were in violation of the Constitution by changing election laws through executive action and not through legislation. And I I remember back in 2020, it was like December, you had half the country involved, like you, you had the entirety of the country. Half of the states were on one side, half were on the other, and they were suing over whether or not several states violated the Constitution. And, and, and this is not me making a point about Biden's presidency or legitimacy or anything like that. I'm not going to comment on that. You guys can come to your own conclusions. YouTube's stupid rules do literally nothing. No, I'm looking at this and I'm like, oh, wow, civil war. You know, since 2020, there have been a lot of people who have denied or just don't believe we're on that path. And then we see this story. Texas GOP is declaring Biden illegitimate. Of course they would. Why wouldn't they? Texas sued at the Supreme Court level, arguing this in 2020. You think they just forgot? But the abortion issue is 
as I've stated, the major what I believe could be a major catalyst for the civil war. I don't know exactly what's going to happen. I'm not a psychic. I'm just looking at all these pieces falling down and being like, "Mm, man, it's looking really bad this morning. Civil war was trending to the tune of 87,000 tweets. Now, of course, many of these prominent tweets are specifically about Juneteenth, the actual civil war in the United States and the end of slavery and then what Juneteenth meant, because today is where uh, Juneteenth is yesterday. But the federal government is observing it today. You might notice your banks are closed or maybe you have off from work or something like that. Me personally, I'm like, cool, extra holiday. Can we grill? I ordered hot dogs. We're going to fire up the grill and have some hot dogs or something. I mean, that's cool. I like holidays. I like holidays that celebrate freedom. I think slavery is bad. So, you know, whatever. But anyway, I digress. We are now looking at a major, a major catalyst in abortion. And we're looking at this idea that Joe Biden didn't win. It's not going away. Donald Trump's launching of Truth Social was actually a tremendous success. Now, I even mocked Truth Social in the beginning because I couldn't get on it. Other people were complaining they couldn't get on it. And I was like, this is this is a mess. Then finally, they launched Truth Social on the on the Rumble cloud infrastructure, and it was like the floodgates had opened up. Now you go to Truth Social. The engagement is insane. People have found a way to share their ideas. But let me show you what's going on with this, because we've got civil war trending, and a, and a lot of it is people overtly calling for it. You've got January 6th. You had an attempted assassination of a sitting Supreme Court justice. You had a man with Antifa uh, 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 tattoos slam into a Trump merchandise store. Now, I guess he had a, he had a, he had a tattoo of a band that's like associated with Antifa. So I want to make sure I'm being as clear as possible. He had an anti-Trump sticker on his car. And then he rammed us that he was ran the store saying he was hear, hearing voices. And I'm like, people are losing it. The country is destabilizing. And I, and I look at what's going on now. And, and I got to tell you, looking at this story from Newsweek and looking at this Wikipedia entry, Texas v. Pennsylvania, I'm like, who in their right mind would think we are not on the path to civil war? There's another there's another tweet I saw. I retweeted it. I don't have it pulled up showing um, political tension is higher now than it was pre-Civil War. I don't know how they actually gauge that. It's some academic assessment. But I'm like, OK, I'll take that with a grain of salt, I suppose. But it's there. Political pressure. People are losing it. So I see this story. I'll, and then, uh, Let's read it. I see this story about Texas saying, you know, Biden is illegitimate. And I'm like, man. I don't care what you think about the election. That's not the point I'm going to make here. YouTube has stupid rules that aren't changing the way people feel about it. But I'm not talking about that. You know my opinion. I'm talking about the fact that regardless of what you think, you have two massive factions that do not believe each other. And just looking at Texas v. Pennsylvania, I'm like, yo, this never stopped. Where do you think this leads to? Let's read it because I'll show you this. Pennsylvania court says state states male voting law is unconstitutional. The decision which could deal a blow to a, to voting access in a critical battleground state was immediately appealed. Can I just can I just point something out? Texas is all like, we think the voting laws were unconstitutional in this state and we have an issue with it. And the Supreme Court's all like, nah, we don't care. Dismissed. We're not we're not doing this. And then after the election, the Pennsylvania Supreme Court was like, actually, yeah, it was un- unconstitutional. What does that mean? What does this mean? How do you, it's almost like they want this country to be ripped apart. How can you go to a Republican, point this out and say everything is fine? Now, here's my attitude. Please go vote. Primary election, red wave, whatever. 
Come November, you got to go out and vote. You need to be voting in the primaries and your state races, because despite what you may think about all of this stuff, Donald Trump winning in the first place in 2016 shows it can be done. And you just need the tsunami. You need every single person to go out and vote. That being said, I don't have good answers for you on this on this stuff. This is the New York Times. What should I say? What should, what, what should I say? I'll tell you what Texas says. This is Newsweek, my friends, of course, as we always do. These sources are NewsGuard certified. Texas GOP declares Biden illegitimate, demands end to abortion. Texas Republicans acted on multiple resolutions and platform changes at their state convention this weekend, including declaring that Joe Biden was not legitimately elected and demanding an end to abortion. The Texas GOP's convention in Houston reinforced how many remain fixated on former President Donald Trump's baseless claims of widespread fraud in the 2020 presidential election, even after the House panel investigating the January 6th attack on the U.S. Capitol presented evidence that those claims were false and showed testimony from Trump's closest advisors, saying they did not believe them during televised hearings. All right. First of all, was was this the claim made by the Texas GOP? Newsweek. Serious question. Because I got to tell you, I think the fraud stuff is mind-bogglingly annoying. Now, I know there are a lot of questionable things. I, I, I get you. I know that Stephen Crowder brought up a bunch of issues, and I'm just like, my attitude is this. Prove it, and I'm on board. Can't prove it. I don't know what to tell you. I'm not going to come out here and defend what I can't prove. Now, certainly some people may point to certain issues and say we have questions about this. And some things, uh, Bill Barr said there was fraud, just not on the level that would have altered the outcome of the election. Sure. The issue here with Texas is not fraud. It's not. Now, I know about 2000 mules. I know about these videos. I say investigate all of it. And then once we get a definitive conclusion, sure, we can come out and make those statements. For the time being, I just don't think it's helpful. And we need to encourage everybody to go out and vote. And I really do think you take away people's sports, you take away their movies, you take away their small businesses, then you blame Trump for it. You're going to get massive votes against Donald Trump. The question here is different, though. Here's what it says, quote, we reject the certified results of the 2020 presidential election, and we hold that acting President Joseph Robinette Biden Jr. was not legitimately elected by the people of the United States, the resolution says. Why? Convention delegates also voted on a measure calling for equal protection for the pre-born. We urge lawmakers to enact legislation to abolish abortion by immediately securing the right to life and equal pro-action of the laws to a problem to pre to all, excuse me, to all pre-born children from the moment of fertilization. Because abortion violates the U.S. Constitution by denying such persons the equal protection under the law. They want to say abortion is currently prohibited after around six weeks of pregnancy in Texas. But a trigger law making abortion illegal would go into effect after the Supreme Court issues their ruling on Roe v. Wade, which may be tomorrow, Wednesday or Thursday. We'll see. They say the Texas GOP's new platform called for Texas students to learn about the humanity of a preborn child. It also described homosexuality as an abnormal lifestyle choice and that the party opposed all efforts to validate transgender identity. Votes from convention delegates were collected to add several items to the official Texas GOP as the convention closed on Saturday, the Texas Tribune reported. They handed in two sets of ballots, one asking delegates to choose eight of 15 legislative priorities and another voting on over 270 platform planks. The votes will be tallied and certified in Austin, but it is, a rare, it is rare for a plank to be rejected. Party spokesman James Weselick told the Tribune, Weselick has been contacted, blah, 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 for additional comment. Texas GOP declares Biden illegitimate. Newsweek frames this 
as baseless fraud claims. Is that what the Texas GOP said? All right. Let me see. Do we have the actual uh, we have the actual resolution here? So let's pull it up. And I want to see what do we have here? Report of the permanent 2022 platform. Here we go. Look at all this constitutional issues. Woof. This is a this is a, a, a hefty, hefty preamble affirming our belief in God. Yada, yada, yada. Let's uh, let's here we go. Uh, let's let's take a look at um, legitimate in terms of the word election. Let's see if that pops up. Cybersecurity, self-defense, capital punishment, the 2020 election. Here's what it says. We believe that the 2020 election violated Article one and two of the U.S. Constitution, that various secretaries of state illegally circumvented their state legislatures in conducting their elections in multiple ways, including by allowing ballots to be received after November 3rd. We believe that substantial election fraud in key metropolitan areas significantly affected the results in five key states in favor of Joe Biden. So they are asserting the fraud narrative. Personally, as, I, as, I've, as I've said, you can believe it. The problem with this is, look, I know a lot of people believe it. I don't operate off of declarations without definitive evidence. And you need to understand that what Texas asserted in their actual lawsuit was that they did not need evidence of fraud because it was likely. Here's what it says. Look, at, I'm going to read this for you so you can understand. The suit was filed. So this is Texas v. Pennsylvania pertaining to unconstitutional voting. The suit was filed by Texas Attorney General Ken Paxton. It claimed that Georgia, Michigan, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin violated the Constitution by changing their election procedures to limit the spread of COVID-19. The case was filed on the same day as a safe harbor, yada, 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 threshold. The suit alleged that four states ignored statutory requirements as to how mail-in ballots were received, evaluated, or counted. It further argued that electoral processes in the four defendant states suffered from significant and unconstitutional irregularities, and therefore it was not clear who legitimately won. They wanted to say, Texas argued it had standing due to its votes being diluted. Instead, uh, uh, Texas then uh, argued fraud becomes undetectable because unlawful actions of election officials effectively destroyed the evidence. Whether voters committed fraud was not the constitutional issue in the case, according to Texas. Therefore, Texas declared that it did not need to prove fraud. Now, I want to point that out. They can believe whatever they want. But if they come out and they say, well, we wouldn't be able to prove it anyway, then I'm like, moot point, not worthy of my time. Certainly, you can point out issues you have concerns with. And what we can do from there is try to investigate, to prove, or we can change the rules so you, these things don't happen again, change the laws. That I'm, that I'm all on board with. I don't, I'm not a fan of this narrative, mainly because, they, look, People come out and they're like, Tim, you have to be on board with this. And I'm like, bro, when they were suing, they were saying that wasn't the issue. I'm not going to come out and rehash something. They said, we're not going to prove and it's not the issue. The issue is whether certain rules, whether certain actions were constitutional and what that means for us as a country. I don't know. I do not have the answers. But Texas has now asserted that these two issues, fraud and constitutionality of voting, affects whether or not they believe Joe Biden was legitimately elected. Again, my point here is not to give you my thoughts on the legitimacy of the 2020 election. As I stated, I think a lot of people voted for Joe Biden. I also think a lot of Trump supporters can't imagine it because, well, they live in their own bubble. But again, I say again a lot. You take sports away, which they did. You take movies away, which they did. You take 
video games, you take, well, I think video games are still around, but, but big video game events, big major events, conventions, they took away everything, even, even restaurants. You couldn't go out to eat. You can go to bars. People were fuming. They were locked in their homes. We had the craziest riots I've ever seen. And then you say, it's all Trump's fault. Those people are going to snap and they got nothing else to do. They went and voted. That's at least how I, th- I see it. However, I believe Democrats knew as per that story in Time Magazine, they needed to pull out all the stops and figure out any way they could to get as many votes as possible. So we saw const- we saw rule changes in Texas. There was a lawsuit. They targeted Pennsylvania, saying that some of their voting processes were unconstitutional. In a lawsuit, I believe it was filed, it was filed by a couple of people, one of which was Sean Parnell, arguing that the mail-in voting law was unconstitutional. A lower court agreed on the merits, saying the Pennsylvania Constitution already prescribes as to what can be done with absentee ballots. And if you want to enact universal mail-in voting, you need to amend the Constitution. Lower court agreed. It was appealed, and the higher court, the Supreme Court, said standing. They said, we, it, I'm sorry, yeah, I think it was standing. They said, you're too late. We're not ruling on this. And I got to be honest, it's not a bad point. The idea that the Republicans could come in at the very last minute and be like, this is this is not a good law. It's like, dude, are you kidding? You had a year to sue over this. Not only that, it was the Republicans who passed this law. That's what people need to understand. When Republicans come out and they're like, this is unconstitutional. Like, yeah, Republicans agreed to it. Republicans tried putting forth a bill that was going to amend the Constitution. And then they quickly stopped and then passed this law. It's almost like they knew it would not happen. And so they said, just do the law anyway. Now, for Sean Parnell and many of these other Republicans, they said, we didn't know this happened. And once we found out, we sued over it. I don't think it's fair to say that just because some Republicans passed a law, other Republicans who didn't know it happened can't sue over it. But that's what happened. After the election, this is what we get. Pennsylvania court uh, they ruled it unconstitutional. A state court in Pennsylvania on Friday struck down the state's landmark election laws unconstitutional in a three to two decision. The state court sided with 14 Republican lawmakers who sued last year, arguing the law was unconstitutional. Pennsylvania filed an appeal to its Supreme Court on Friday afternoon, triggering an automatic stay that keeps the law in place during the appeal process. By March 1st, they said the law would remain in place pending the appeal. I don't know what the latest development on that appeal is. Um, I did a cursory glance. So forgive me if I missed that one. But this is the important point. Texas is looking at this. Republicans are looking at this. It doesn't matter what you think happened in 2020. YouTube will ban people for making certain claims, even if it's in the context of news reporting. It's the stupidest thing ever. YouTube, you are stupid. It's, it's ridiculous. You're not doing anything to stop the spread of these ideas or to end the anger and animosity felt by either faction. In fact, you only make it worse. Stupid. But I guess the idea YouTube has is they need to make sure people don't spread these ideas, spread these ideas or whatever. The ideas exist no matter what. That's it. It's absolutely ridiculous that they've had videos of Donald Trump speaking and they've banned it. A January 6th hearing video was taken down because they showed Trump speaking. YouTube, you're insane. It's only making it worse. Now, again, I'll say it a million times. Please go out and vote. Please. We got a red wave coming. 
I'm not convinced Republicans are going to do anything, but it's better than sitting back and letting Democrats win again, right? Let me show you this tweet from Jack Posobiec. A conservative Supreme Court justice was almost assassinated in the middle of the night last week. Firebombings across the country at pro-life centers claimed by Jane's revenge cells. Crazy person drives into Trump merch store in New Hampshire. CNN nonstop January 6 hearings. They keep saying the far right, the far right and the far left is actively engaging in this. They're not enforcing the law against them. I'm done. Civil war right here. 88,000 tweets. Some of it, of course, is because of Juneteenth, obviously. Not all of it. Take a look at this. Let me see if I have a Lawrence Tribe says my co-authored op-ed in the L.A. Times this morning about the urgent need to prosecute Trump if we're to survive beyond 2024 as a constitutional democracy. We're not a constitutional democracy. Sure. Please read and retweet. We got some random guy. I don't know this guy is some random dude responded, but this is the point. He says, I guess we all just need to get ready for a GD civil war. That is what the Republican Party wants. Every liberal better, better fortify your home and family. Ask Adam Kinzinger, ask Dan Crenshaw, ask John Cornyn. Sure, dude. Meanwhile, they're arguing for more gun control. This is, it's, it's remarkable. This is where we're at. Some guy, I don't know who he is. He says he's an army veteran, Florida, anti-Trump, anti-GQP, haha, you know, QAnon. It's funny because GQP, I don't even know what that means. The, the Grand Q Party, is that what they're trying to say, I guess? I don't know. It's here. People are looking at each other and pointing the finger. Andy, no tweets. Watch the surveillance video of the car ramming attack on the Trump merchandise store in Easton, Massachusetts. An employee narrowly survived being run over at high speed. Suspect Sean Flaherty has a tattoo of an Antifa band on his arm and his car displays an anti-Trump sticker. Apparently, the guy said he was hearing voices. I'll tell you what I want. I was watching Avengers Infinity War last night, and I'm like, man, it was getting crazy back then, Trump era, but it was still not that bad. You know, it's kind of sad. It's kind of scary. I was thinking back to the, uh, the, the early phases of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. You know, I love my Marvel references. No, I'm just remembering back then where as bad as things were, it wasn't that bad. I'm thinking about today with these lawsuits. Two years ago, Texas v. Pennsylvania. Still, all of this is getting worse. It's going on. And I was just like, man, where was I? I was in South Jersey in 2018. Actually, no, in 2018, I was in North Jersey and then moved to South Jersey. And I was just like, man, it wasn't that bad. I was playing World of Warcraft. You know, we're having conversations about civil, about um, not even about civil wars. It was starting censorship. And I remember when I went on Joe Rogan 2019 and I told Jack Dorsey and Vijay Agade, if they keep doing what they're doing, this country will, will be in civil war. It's funny. It was 2019. 2020 happened. So they, no, they don't listen. It's funny that I have people like, uh, you know, shout out to Ryan Long. Ryan Long's a good friend. But I remember we had him on the show, you know, last year. And when the show started, he was like, Tim, you told me a civil war was coming. Like, I left your house like freaked out. What's going on, man? I thought I thought you said something was going to happen. And I was just like on January 6th, about a thousand Trump supporters stormed the Capitol. And he was like, oh, yeah. And it's not just that. That that actually is irrelevant. January 6th to me is irrelevant. I'll tell you what's scary. What's scary is Texas v. Pennsylvania. Look at this. Texas said these states were it was unconstitutional. Take a look at this map. Of all of the states, 
in red is the plaintiff. In blue is the defendants. Orange states with attorney generals in support of Texas. Blue in support of defendants. Then they go on to say, well, let me let me let me close this out so I can see that. Then we have the pink state states with attorney general filing brief in, a brief in support of neither side, which was two. And then yellow is filing in support of Texas, but the governor filing in support of defendants. Take a look at this. Almost the entire country, the the grayed out, I think, were uninvolved. Look at all of these orange states. They, they joined Texas. All the blue states, they joined the defendant states. I mean, the country is on the verge of being torn apart. This is crazy. I remember it was something like 48 states were involved, or was it 46? Well, if we take out the gray ones, we got one, two, three, four, five, six, 44. 44 states directly involved in a lawsuit. I'm pretty sure it was more than this. I'm sure there were statements made by some of these other states that were that were not legally involved. That's crazy. Then you had, uh, what is it, 120 Republicans signed on, 120 Republican members of the House filed in support of the suit. It's crazy. 20 additional members signed on before it was dismissed. And it was dismissed. Yo, this is bonkers. The suit was criticized by legal experts. So what? The issue I'm bringing up is not about law. It's not about declarations. It's not about fraud. It's about none of that. It's about the fact that you have half the country pointing the finger at the other half saying, we don't care enough. So where does that go? I don't know, man. December 11th, in an unsigned ruling, the court ruled that Texas lacked standing and denied the suit. Justice Alito, joined by Thomas, disagreed with the ruling, denying leave to file a bill of complaint, but did not otherwise fine for the plaintiffs. He wrote, the court is duty bound to hear the case. In my view, he did not have the discretion to deny the filing of a bill of a complaint in a case that falls within our, our original jurisdiction. I would therefore grant the motion to file the, the bill complaint, but would not grant other relief. And I express no view on any other issue. Basically, they were saying we should hear this out. But they were like, nah, they ruled the state of Texas motion for leave to file a bill of complaint is denied for lack of standing under Article three of the Constitution. Texas has not demonstrated a judicially cognizable interest in the manner in which another state conducts elections. All other pending motions are dismissed as moot. That's actually not a bad point, to be honest. The idea is Pennsylvania can do what they want. If Pennsylvania's got no problem with what they deemed, it's like, imagine some dude said he was voting for Trump. And then you argued that vote was illegitimate because his wife told him to do it. It's like, well, if ultimately he decided to vote for who he wanted, just because, you know, how he came to that conclusion is not your decision. He can vote for, for however he wants. But I kind of think there's an interesting argument. If we're all as states going to be casting votes and one state violates the Constitution, then I think the courts should hear out whether or not they did. It's tough. It really is, because the idea then is, well, the state should decide and the state did decide. But here's where we end up. After all is said and done. A Pennsylvania court did rule it unconstitutional. So now what? Should Texas refile? This country is on, on borrowed time. That's all I can say. The Texas GOP has declared Biden illegitimate. Whatever, man. I'll leave it there. Next segment's coming up at 1 p.m. on this channel. Thanks for hanging out, and I'll see you all then. One of the most loathed journalists in corporate press, Taylor Lorenz, has been demoted 
after publishing fake news about a couple of YouTubers trying to, as it seems, cover it up and then blaming her editor. Now, some outlets, I think most of them, aren't calling it a demotion, but it literally is a demotion. Now, I don't really care to do interpersonal drama stuff, and I'm not super interested in what's the big news about this one person. The story here is actually a bit more about Bill Maher and millennials in general. Taylor Lorenz personifies millennial entitlement. And on Friday, Bill Maher roasted the Washington Post, Felicia Sanmez, and I believe he also, uh, no, actually, he may not have talked about Taylor Lorenz in that one, but he did bring up millennial entitlement in the newsroom and how there that very often there will be some entry level millennial who's been working for six months wondering why they're not a producer yet. Now, I often criticize Bill Maher because he doesn't read the news. He like hears it secondhand and often his commentary is based on factually incorrect statements. But in this one, he's correct. Let's rag on millennials. I love ragging on millennials. You know why? Well, I'm a millennial. Most of you are millennials. And I think most of us agree on what's wrong with this generation. It certainly isn't us. Those of us who are millennials and believe in doing hard work, sacrificing and having a little humility. The problem is the overwhelming amount of millennials who are entitled, whiny, demanding. Yo, sums up. I don't know who raised these people. It's the, you know, it's what we long feared. The participation trophy generation has become adults. Oh, I remember this when I was growing up. Participation trophies. You didn't win, but you were here. So here's your trophy. No, 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 no. You get nothing. You fail. You get nothing. Well, here's the story. Taylor Lorenz, you may have heard, wrote a story where she claimed that if you were, oh, okay, I, I, I love this, Legal Bites, a YouTuber was commenting on the Johnny Depp Amber Heard story, as was that umbrella guy. I believe that's the username. And uh, this is this is pop culture. This is literally what people do. They comment on pop culture. Taylor Lorenz called them radicalized. Here's the funny thing. The Johnny Depp story is about Amber Heard publishing a defamatory Washington Post article for Taylor Lorenz to write this story was a conflict of interest to then get the story wrong and refuse to admit it and blame somebody else. Yo, Washington Post is gutter trash. And they finally realized it and demoted this woman. So she was on the features team as a columnist, basically getting to write her thoughts and opinions. And now she's on the technology team, meaning you're being demoted to a grunt reporter. Oh, it feels good. Now, I think Washington Post is trash, but it's good to see some accountability for this garbage. And I'll say it. I'll say it again. Perhaps you work at the Washington Post and you're a veteran reporter. Perhaps you were an intern back in the 70s with Woodward and Bernstein and you were very excited. And now you're in your 50s and you're just like, what has become of this paper? Maybe you're a young person, a millennial or uh, or maybe zennial. Maybe you're in your early 40s, not, not necessarily a young person. And um, maybe you saw the legends, as it were, of Woodward and Bernstein in these stories, and you thought to yourself, you wanted to be a great journalist, and now here you are at the Washington Post. Mm, it's so sad, isn't it? Well, Tim Cass is hiring. Let's read the story. Fox News reports, there continues to be more fallout of the Washington Post over Taylor Lorenz's erroneous report that sparked uproar on social media. The New York Times reported on Friday that Lorenz that Lorenz, the Post's internet culture columnist, is being moved from the features staff to the technology team, according to sources from the paper. 
Sources also allege that Cameron Barr, Washington Post senior managing editor, was asked to review her articles before publication. I love it. She continues to just lie like a psychopath. Fox News asked the Washington Post if Lorenz's shift means she is now a reporter versus a columnist and whether that means she must curb her social media activity. Fox News also inquired if any other writers for the Post besides Lorenz must submit their work to Barr prior to publication. The Post declined to comment. So let's clarify. They didn't definitively say she is no longer a columnist and that she is now just a reporter. In my humble opinion, when you're moved from the features team to the technology team, heavy demotion. So I can't speak for what the Washington Post does. I can tell you that uh, the features editor for magazines typically chooses what goes on the feature in the front page when they have all of the words. Features typically are featured front and center. The technology section is usually buried in the back. As a technology writer, she, she probably is going, she's being taken away from front and center in the limelight and being pushed to a small pocket in the back. Lorenz told Fox News, for what it's worth, Cameron has always read my stories ever since I got here. He reads all big stories that go on the site. He's an awesome editor. I love his feedback and working with him. Mm. You see what she didn't say. For what it's worth, he always reads my stories. Yes, but does he edit and approve your stories? She echoed what she previously stated publicly regarding the error in her report, which she insists stemmed from miscommunication, that there are bad faith campaigns aimed at aimed to discredit her and the post. OK, you get it. She is insufferable. Let's show you more. Washington Post Taylor Lorenz scolds Vox founder Matt Iglesias for joking about his COVID-19 diagnosis. <sighs> Here we go. Washington Post tech reporter. Oh, tech reporter. They're officially saying it now. Taylor Lorenz faced mockery after she appeared to slam a fellow commentator for making light of his COVID-19 diagnosis. This is so insane. Matthew Iglesias, he's not all that bad. You know, he's one of the co-founders at Vox. I think he's, I really, I'm not a fan of his political ideology. He once had this famous tweet where he was like, he said something like the fact that Democrats convinced people they didn't get a tax cut was great progressive messaging. And I'm like, that's evil, dude. He says, FYI, all future typos are due to long COVID. And Taylor responds, I'm glad it's a joke for you, Matt, and that you're lucky enough to get access to great care. But for those who have had their lives destroyed by the virus and who have had loved ones die from or suffer from long COVID, it's not funny. Hope you can have a little more empathy, especially today. What? Millennials. Not all of them. Not all. Hashtag not all millennials. But man, too many of them. Matt, joke's fine. I get it. It was worth a chuckle. That's that's great. Have a nice day. I see that tweet. I'm like, nah, you know, it's like, it's whatever. It's kind of a joke. Taylor had no reason to respond to this at all. There's another photo of her crying, I guess. The humorlessness is a symptom of old age, not long COVID. Oh, man. And they go to mention her controversy. Well, let's do this. I don't really care all that much about Taylor Lorenz. You know, I had defended her in the past when I thought she was doing well, and I stand by what I said about her doing well, but man, she really lost the plot. I give you this story from Deadline. Bill Maher's real-time blasts Washington Post Twitter wars. Democracy dies in dumbness. I really wish Bill would read the news instead of just getting it secondhand and then commenting on what he heard secondhand. There was a really great segment, uh, Crystal Ball. She is a progressive. And uh, it's funny, Kyle Kalinske tweeted, okay, okay. Crystal Ball, she uh, uh, she brings up information about the Federal Reserve. Bill Maher disagrees. She shuts him down. I tweeted bravo to Crystal Ball. 
Kyle Kalinske is unlike Crystal has united the political factions. Well, to be fair, Kyle and Crystal, I often shout you guys out because I think I think Kyle and Crystal uh, Crystal are uh, uh, engaged in good faith efforts. They, they want to know the facts. They want to engage properly. Very few people, I think, on the left do that. But uh, I don't think they're right about all of their political opinions, but I think they are good people. Uh, Crystal pointed out that, you know, uh, they, were, they were talking about inflation. And uh, one guy mentions inflationary spend, uh, spending resulting in inflation. And Crystal's like, the market crashes and the, and the Fed dumps trillions of dollars in the market. Nobody's complaining about that. And Bill Maher's like, what are you talking about? What are you talking about? And I'm just like, oh, it's so mind numbing sometimes that Bill doesn't read the news. So, yes, I want to rag on millennials. But Bill, you're a boomer. Come on. No, no generation's perfect. The boomers raise the millennials. And Gen, Z, Gen X is in there somewhere. But anyway, yes, the Federal Reserve was buying up assets and, and, and I think stocks. They were bailing out the stock market to keep it going amid, the, amid the, 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 the COVID crisis. That was bad. Yet we're not fans of the Federal Reserve. It's a, it's a, it's a big manipulation game. It's, it's, it's propping the system up. It's anti-meritocratic. Anyway, Props to uh, Crystal Ball. But Bill Maher has beef with millennials, says Deadline, specifically those who inhabit the newsroom of The Washington Post. And this I agree with him on. Reviewing the recent Twitter war between WAPO reporter Felicia Sanmez and the other members of the newsroom, a flame battle that eventually saw Sanmez fired and another reporter put on a month's leave without pay. Maher said the joke tweet that instigated it was something that has been going on for eons, yet the unlicensed daycare center that is the newsroom didn't find the humor in it. Bravo. I'm going to have to agree with Bill Maher when he roasts uh, millennials. Can you imagine in a world, can you imagine a world that, uh, that allows jokes you don't like? Of course, the leadership folded like a Miami condo. And then the whole room goes, ah, he said, falling back on the tired trope that the tweet did not reflect the institution's values. Free speech not being one of them. Maher then broadened the WAPO conflict to a larger breakdown of the generation that is now coming into its own in the workplace as baby boomers retire. What did I say? I've been telling y'all this. This country is going to ignite when baby boomers retire and then die. I don't mean to be crass, but, you know, people die. Quote, you think my generation is an eye roll? Let me tell you about the younger generation. Your sense of entitlement is legendary. He said, also attacking your attention span and work ethic, specifically the unqualified little ish who doesn't understand why he's not a producer yet. He added that the WAPO story had such resonance because we all know the stereotypical players. And it, oh, man, do I know that the people who are like, I just got hired, but I think I deserve, you know, uh, tons of money and prestige. And it's like, dude, you didn't do anything. Yo, I get started in this industry by just going out and doing stuff. I didn't go to a company and say, I, I deserve all of these things. I went out and did stuff. And then when companies came to me and said, well, offer you a job, I was like, no, nah, I don't want it. I don't want to go to a company and say, give me X or else. I, I'll put it this way. I don't want to get hired, then come out and say, I deserve this and stop my feet. But I'll tell you what I do, what I've done is that I've made that clear before getting hired. And I do that every time. I tell everyone who tries to do a deal with me, it is going to cost you twice as much as you think. If you're not prepared, we should not be working together because I'm not going to be one of these people in someone else's company demanding they give me their stuff, which is why I do my own company. When I worked for Vice Infusion, I said, here's what I expect. When they said yes and then didn't do it, I said, have a nice day. Your company, you do as you please. I am free to leave. And I did. Anyway, 
quote, millennials complain that they haven't taken over yet, Mar said. But that's because the boomers are reluctant to turn the world over to them for incidents like the WAPO wars. The crybabies are still winning. They complain they haven't taken over yet. The fact that the Post's response was to punish one of their best reporters shows the kindergarten is still in charge. In 1972, the water great break in happened, a story basically scooped by the WAPO, by the Washington Post. I have to wonder how the Post newsroom of today would handle that. All this time blubber tweeting. Don't you have anything better to do? Aren't you supposed to be reporters digging up stuff? This is why you're not in charge. If someone named Deep Throat called today and wanted to meet, this crew of emotional hemophiliacs would have an anxiety attack and report to HR they didn't feel safe. Yeah, 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 bravo. Slow clap, Bill Maher. Remember when that uh, Netflix executive, Netflix executive said, here's a list of, of things we don't allow on Netflix. And they went, oh, he actually said the words. Then he got called into HR. It's a true story, by the way. He gets called into HR and they're like, we have a report that you said slurs. And he was like, I was explaining to them the words that are not allowed on Netflix. And they're like, and what words were that? And then he says them. And they went, oh, he said them again. It's like, you asked him to say it. And then the guy got fired. Yeah, those weren't all millennials. Those are Gen Xers too, by the way. Mar did take hope in the fact that the Washington Post eventually did fire Sanmez. Maybe there's a line. That generation has to find that line and move it closer to sanity because democracy dies in dumbness. Now, I want to point out, as much as I love the ragging on woke millennials, Bill Maher, we're talking about you, the boomers, being in charge of these companies, letting the millennials do these things. It took how long to demote Taylor Lorenz and fire Felicia Sanmez? Grow a pair. Bill, if perhaps you read the news and actually paid attention to what was going on and didn't just get it two weeks later secondhand, we might actually not be in this mess. So it is all derivative. You complain about millennials. Yes, I agree with you. Many of them are just awful people. But it is because of boomers. Now, here's the reality. It is because of boomers that I am who I am. All right. I can respect that. In fact, I actually like the boomer generation way more than the millennial generation. The problem is the boomers weren't able to share their values widely enough with their children. I know Gen X is in there somewhere. Gen X is always like, you're forgetting about us. But I think the, um, the, the, the peak of millennial, majority of millennials are born of boomer parents. And then there's like younger Gen Xers who have uh, millennial kids, but like younger Gen X. So if you're like, in your late 40s, you might have a kid who's, you know, in their mid 20s, which is just barely millennial. So like the millennials that are in their 30s, boomers, you gave us the next generation. But it's not just boomers. Star Trek, the next generation I'm talking about, not the people. Star Trek was an amazing show. And there were a lot of really great things that came about. But we also got a bunch of really bad stuff, too. I mean, early Simpsons was really good, right? Uh, Seth MacFarlane is Gen Xer. He gave us Family Guy and a bunch of other shows that I think are also good. I think ultimately, when you have a generation working with another generation, you'll get something unique and something good. It's not just the boomers. It was what the silent generation, the boomers and Gen X. And there was this period where they're working together. Now you have millennials who are like this woke insanity is emerging. And now you have Gen Xers and boomers being like, I don't want to be involved in that. That was always the problem. The fact that boomers don't stand up against this, the fact that it took Washington Post this long is proof of what caused this problem. When the millennial crybabies were screaming, I want more ice cream when they were little kids, 
Those boomers were like, okay, honey, stop yelling. I'll give you whatever you want. And those kids grew up to be Taylor Lorenz, pouting and screaming and crying and go to their Swiss boarding schools. And now because of their wealth and access, they work at the Washington Post. And those same boomers that wouldn't reprimand these children are doing the exact same thing. So I wonder, for all of you watching, did your parents punish you? Did you have strict parents? Not so strict, but were they firm with you? You broke the rules, you paid the price, you're grounded or something like that. We're taking away the PlayStation or something like that. How many of these people, how much you want to bet? I'm willing to bet. Many of the woke millennials had the parents who are like, my daughter can do no wrong. She's a precious snowflake. And how much you want to bet most people like more like us, more libertarian had parents who are like, if you can't figure it out, that's your problem. I can show you how to do it. And then you got to solve the problem. That's how I grew up. I grew up with, if you don't work hard and try hard, you will not succeed and I won't do it for you. That was reality. Maybe it was a combination of not being well off. So I had no choice and having parents who are like, that's what you need to learn. I wonder how many of the woke millennials come from uppity, waspy or middle class families. And it seems like many of them, many when you look at all the polling woke people, these woke millennials tend to come from middle and upper middle class families. So these are the snooty participation trophy can do no wrong, face no hardship generation. And you can see it, man. People who grow up in hardship, they survive because they figured out how to solve the problems. People who grow up in comfort often don't. But it's not absolute. I know many people who are born to wealthy families who became who, who are hardworking and successful because they had good parents. A good a, a parent who works hard and succeeds and then understands how to transfer those values to their kid, well, they do it. It's typically not true, though. They say wealth lasts three generations. The first generation is, is working really, really hard, solves the problem, makes a ton of money. They raise their kid and say, here's why you got to work hard if you want to make money. But that kid hears it, but never actually experiences it. So by now, the grandkid, they, they just have the inheritance and they say, yeah, it was what my grandpa used to say. or so my dad used to say. And that kid is just born wealthy, doesn't see their parent do any hard work. It's just, I don't know. You end up with people like Hunter Biden, where he's wealthy. He gets well off jobs, but I'm not sure his kids are going are gonna to make it because he's a crackhead. He's literally a crackhead. And so while Joe Biden, not a good person, and I think he was probably abusing his kids, is able to transfer some of what made him wealthy, you know, political corruption. I don't know how that will transfer down to the next generation. That is just a bunch of, you know, well, the one of them, a crackhead. That's what it is. Here we go. The most interesting moment of the talk was when Marr was asked whether he thought Florida Governor Ron DeSantis would be better than Trump. Yes, I do. He said he won't be poop tweeting and having feuds with Bette Midler. Fair point. The panel discussion was dominated by podcaster Crystal Barr, I'm sorry, Crystal Ball, a far leftist who had hardly let Marr or guest author James Kerchak talk. I don't know. Far leftist? I don't think Crystal Ball is a far leftist. I think she's just a left liberal. I think Crystal's great, actually. I don't agree with everything she says. I think she is on the other side of politics. But she's the example of the kind of person who does the research, makes the points, and has political opinions we disagree with. I'm a big fan. Uh, Kyle Kalinske as well. Kyle Kalinske's criticized me, but he's always done it in, in a meaningful way that I thought was was funny, appropriate. Big fan. Crystal and Kyle would love to have you on Timcast IRL whenever you feel like it. I know you host your own show, so it is what it is. But uh, uh, Sagar and Crystal, they do a great show with Breaking Point, so I'm a big fan. This this gives me hope. 
They should. Bill Maher should retire and he should pass on his show to someone like Crystal Ball. I like that Bill, uh, Bill Maher calls out the woke, but he's so late to the party. Now, I suppose there is an issue with I, as much as I'm, I'm critical of Bill Maher not reading the news, politically, he's, he's more moderate liberal, and I, I like that better than Crystal Ball's politics. But I like that Crystal Ball reads the news. You don't have to agree on, on the same opinions, and I'm sure she gets things wrong, and I do too. But anyway, here's the point. Taylor Lorenz is, is an example of someone who should not be in the political space. She is just a whiny, angry, awful person. And that's really what it comes down to. Bill Maher is right about many millennials, entitled and whiny. But Bill, the Washington Post is run by boomers. They don't want to hand it over to millennials, but they also don't want, like, that's the problem. If they did, they would say, get it straight, get in, get in order, do your job, clean your room. Otherwise, we're done for. But you know what? Fine. Democracy dies in darkness and democracy dies without meritocracy. Now, I don't believe in absolute democracy, but the point is, if you want to build a system based on equity, where you just put people in these positions, don't be surprised when that collapses. And then companies like Timcast, based on a meritocratic approach, succeed. Yeah, this company exists because I built it from the ground up with no investors, but support from people like you. Now, I'm not going to sit here and, and talk about how everything is every individual. Like, I, I'm not a firm uh, a proponent of this. You, the individual, make everything happen. I am, mo I am very individualist, but I'm rather centrist libertarian. That is to say, I know what I do is only possible because of all of you. You're not just customers of Timcast, you're believers in the message and the movement and, and the job we do. It's a combination of not just providing good service, but working towards something we all believe in. That is something special. We are building this from the ground up. Many of these other millennials getting jobs at Washington Post are being handed the keys to a car someone else made, and they don't know how to drive it. I'll leave it there. Next segment's coming up at 4 p.m. over at youtube.com slash Timcast. Thanks for hanging out, and I'll see you all then.